Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 17th episode of 2022. Before we kick off, I'd like to thank our sponsors of Fiber for Breakfast, including our gold sponsors, uh, CHR Solutions, Millennium, and Plume, and our silver sponsor, Graybar. We are now 19 days away from NTI issuing the $42.45 billion bead notice of funding opportunity. You know, this week, the Fiber Broadband Association sent a letter to the FCC commissioners highlighting the facts and stats on all fiber deployments in the U.S. You know, last week, Commissioner Carr made an uninformed statement that you can put up a fixed wireless network in a few days while deploying fiber is a multi-year process. I hope our fiber facts will help educate the FCC on the importance of building critical broadband infrastructure that will serve generations to come. You know, our Fiber Connect 22 is only seven weeks away and will be held in Nashville June 12th to 15th. We have already surpassed last year's record, and this will definitely be the biggest and best broadband event in the world this year. So if you haven't registered already, please do this because this event is going to sell out much sooner than it did last year. You know, after Nashville, we'll be back on the road and continue our regional Fiber Connect workshops at Copper Mountain Resort in Colorado on August 23rd, and then in Columbus, Ohio on November 3rd. So we hope to see you there. You know, last two workshops have been fantastic. Speaking of records and fiber deployments, during today's Fiber Breakfast session, we are gonna focus on the US fiber surge in numbers. Last week at Fiber Breakfast, we spoke with Nate Wallowitz, the Regional Broadband Program Director for Northwest Colorado Council of Governments, on Western Colorado regions elevates broadband. You know, Nate shared with us how the state of Colorado is investing in middle mile and how that investment is elevating the region's ability to support last mile providers' goals to deliver fiber broadband to more unserved and underserved rural communities. This morning, we have the pleasure to speak with my good friend, Jeff Hainan, the Vice President of Broadband Access and Home Networking with the Deloro Group, Jeff is going to share his latest research on not only the surge in fiber deployment, but just how much spending is on fiber at the home equipment and what technology operators are gonna be using in the next five years. You know, Jeff joined Deloro Group in 2018, and he's responsible for broadband access and home networking market research program. Jeff has expanded the broadband access and home networking areas to include fixed wireless CPE, virtual CCAP, remote FI, remote MacFi, a whole bunch of cable stuff here, DOCSIS 4.0 infrastructure. Um, so Jeff's research and analysis has been widely cited in leading trade and business publications. He's a frequent expert judge and invited speaker at industry conferences and events, including Fiber Connect, which Jeff is gonna moderate some of our panels and be a judge at our proof of concept. So welcome Jeff, I'm glad to have you here. And for our audience, um, please type in your questions as we go, and we'll hit that the Q&A at the end. With that, I'd like to turn it over to Jeff. Well, thanks, Gary. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak today. 
Um, so as, as Gary mentioned, uh, my focus uh, in my area is covering broadband equipment, spending, which technologies are being deployed. And I thought uh, this was really relevant to what's going on. And obviously there's a lot of conjecture uh, about um, you know, just how much spending is happening on equipment, uh, which obviously, if there's a lot of spending going on in equipment uh, to support fiber to the home build-outs, then that's obviously a clear sign that operators are committed to it. Obviously, no, no questions here about the public statements from uh, the major operators in the U.S. They all uh, have now finally um, committed to passing more, fiber, uh, more homes with fiber, uh, some have begun to increase their commitments, like AT&T most recently, uh, and uh, we, we continue to see more and more operators, not just the larger uh, Tier 1s and Tier 2s, but uh, all Tier 3 operators as well, continuing their commitment to pass more homes with fiber. And we're even starting to see more cable operators get into the mix as well, um, and starting to move away from their DOCSIS infrastructure and, and adding more fiber, not only in greenfield areas, but also in overbuild areas. So clearly what we're looking at is a situation where we think U.S. fiber homes uh, pass could easily exceed 75 million by 2030. And of course, the, the pandemic and uh, obviously the, the, the subsidization that's going on, uh, as, as well as uh, just general land grab uh, for ex network expansion, as well as overbuilding are fueling uh, all of these initiatives at these operators. In the North American market, and, and we're, I mean, obviously this is U.S. and Canada, but you can extrapolate that the vast majority of the spending is coming uh, from the U.S. market. Um, we have seen, uh, even in 2021, we saw spending increase to four and a half billion. Now this is, this uh, slide here shows equipment uh, spending for DSL, uh, all the fiber to the home equipment, as well as cable, and all the associated CPE, including uh, residential fixed wireless CPE uh, uh, as well. And what we've seen here is the growth in, in terms of spending is clearly outpacing uh, the growth in other regions. And, and this is true not only for uh, the usual uh, China market, which is clearly a, a huge market for fiber, but also the Western European market, which now you have uh, British Telecom, Deutsche Telekom, some of the larger, uh, larger tier ones and uh, legacy PTTs that are finally moving away from their copper infrastructure and making their own commitments to fiber because they realize what a competitive advantage it provides them and how much uh, future proofing uh, it gives to them uh, going forward. So within that overall bucket on broadband spending, clearly the biggest growth driver uh, in terms of spending right now is for pawn equipment. Uh, uh, and you can see here that spending in 2021 was about $1.5 billion uh, in the North American market. And I'm expecting that to increase again to $1.8 billion uh, this year. Obviously, you see right now that there's a heavy focus on building out the infrastructure. If you look historically at pawn deployments, that's a that's a general trend that occurs, right? The infrastructure gets built out first, uh, homes are passed, uh, uh, all the all the uh, uh, splitters and outdoor cabinets are are put into place, and then the marketing of the services occurs, uh, and then subscribers are turned up. So if we look beyond uh, 2022, we'll see the ONT spending ultimately catch up. But 
one thing that's that's very true now is that if we go back to that slide about the the homes past is that the infrastructure investment isn't going to stop if these if their commitments and they stay true to their commitments in terms of passing more fiber homes then the this uh this sort of imbalance in infrastructure relative to subscriber turn up via ONTs and other CPE is is going to continue through the remainder of this decade one other thing to mention here is that uh, you know uh, CPE and ONT ONT availability has been clearly hampered by some of the supply chain constraints that we all hear about. Um, difficult uh, to get your hands on uh, uh, new ONTs, especially if you're a smaller operator. Uh, and we're continuing to hear anecdotal information, anecdotal evidence from uh, operators who are just saying, you know, I I've got such long lead times that I'm trying to fulfill backlogs of subscribers who want my service. Uh, and, and so hopefully that situation can be rectified sooner rather than later. So uh, the other thing that I think is extremely interesting about the North American market over the last couple years uh, is the transition and focus by operators on providing multi-gig services. Now, uh, and, and this is through the use of XGS PON, which is symmetric 10 gig uh, uh, PON. And, um, you know, that looking forward, that technology can accommodate really anywhere from a symmetric one to five gig service per subscriber. Uh, and and so what that means to me is that, you know, these operators that are putting in new networks now, they're looking well into the future and they're looking right now to clearly leapfrog what their cable operator com uh, competitors are, are planning to provide uh, themselves. So it's a, it, it's a very interesting phenomenon and Quite honestly, when you look at uh, uh, in relation to the rest of the world, the North American market is well ahead uh, of the rest of the world in uh, the deployment of XGS PON uh, equipment. We have a few uh, major operators, of course, that are driving uh, this purchasing cycle, but it's across the board. It's not just tier ones, it's, it's down to the tier three level as well. They all see the value of being able to uh, offer a multi-gig service and really protect themselves from any type of upgrades that any competitors uh, might want to offer. And you know, this isn't to say that traditional GPON uh, is, is going away anytime soon. You can see here uh, that the numbers for infrastructure supporting uh, 2.5 gig GPON is also still on the rise. So depending on the competitive environment each operator faces, there, there may be a, a, a cost uh, balance that they're trying to find uh, relative to the overall capex that they're spending, and so GPON uh, will allow them to, in in certain situations, be uh, the the fastest operator uh, in their particular region, and so that will suffice for you know three to five more years for them. And so I think the the other interesting thing here is that even if the infrastructure that's now going in place can support those multi-gig services through XGS PON. We're still in very early stages of uh, those ONT units actually going out into the field. Um, so we, we've still, we still have a, a number of years for uh, the ONT numbers uh, and for those subscribers to be turned up with multi-gig services to ramp. Uh, some of that is supply chain, uh, uh, is, is limited by the supply chain. And also, of course, the, the, the cost of those uh, XGS PON units remain high because of logistics and because of transceiver costs, but they continue to come down to the point where 
within the next uh, next couple of years, they will reach parity with the traditional GPON ONTs. And then at that point, uh, it's game on uh, for operators delivering multi-gig using XGS. So, you know, I, I, I did mention cable operators and, and, and Gary also mentioned some of the, uh, the products that I've added in terms of covering uh, what cable operators are doing as well. And, you know, look, they're not standing idly by as their competitors are rolling out fiber. Um, they are pushing fiber deeper. Um, and, you know, a lot of them are, uh, are moving away uh, from DOCSIS infrastructure and moving to uh, a fiber, which you'll see in the, in the next slide. Um, but even, uh, even before that, many of the larger operators have plans to improve their upstream bandwidth by moving to a mid-split or a high-split architecture, uh, which won't give them symmetric speeds, but will give them, uh, obviously, more speed up on the upstream side that allows them to compete, uh, uh, not necessarily on the, on the billboard speed side where they can offer a gigabit downstream, but at least shore up which uh, one of the weaknesses of, of DOCSIS, which is uh, the upstream uh, asymmetry. Um, and so that's reflected uh, also in the fact that they're pushing fiber deeper. It's reflected in these remote FI units and remote MACFI units that we're projecting uh, are being put out into the field uh, to replace uh, traditional analog nodes, as well as to uh, replace some traditional amplifiers as they pass those amplifier stations uh, and add more intelligence into the network. You know, one of, one of the big things uh, that, that's still on the table for these cable operators is DOCSIS 4.0. Uh, some of the timeframes are, are still in question, supply chain issues uh, with respect to the semiconductors, um, that's still uh, still in question, and also the fact that for extended spectrum DOCSIS, um, you know, most cable operators are still purchasing 1.2 gig uh, gigahertz amplifiers, and for extended spectrum, obviously, you want to move to 1.8. We haven't seen we haven't seen that move uh, happen uh, in earnest yet. So that says to me that we're talking DOCSIS 4.0 much later this decade. So, you know, with the, with the concern around the timelines uh, for DOCSIS 4.0 and, and just the amount of time it's going to take to upgrade uh, the existing outside plant, we are starting to see uh, more cable operators move to a fiber-to-the-home architecture. Uh, and what, how we're seeing that is in tracking these remote OLT ports. So remote OLTs for cable operators obviously are modules or nodes uh, that can go into a traditional node housing, uh, basically move that from you know analog support to providing an, an OLT uh, out of that um, uh, that that last node. And so you know obviously these numbers are relatively small by comparison. But what's interesting here is the trend, uh, and I only expect this trend to continue to increase uh, as as cable operators. Uh, like Charter, for example, through their, uh, their RDOF build-out, uh, likely going to use the remote OLT architecture. And, um, you know, more uh, smaller Tier 1s and Tier 2 and Tier 3 cable operators just say, you know, DOCSIS 3.1 is uh, the end game for us. Our next step uh, after that uh, is, is fiber to the home, and we're going to do so by using these remote OLTs. Now, this isn't to say, uh, of course, that the larger tier ones uh, are, are going to move uh, in this direction. 
They are in some cases where it makes competitive sense, and obviously in, in greenfield buildouts, you know, even uh, uh, even before they get to that point, there is an opportunity for them uh, to uh, to consider building this out and not having to worry uh, about when the 1.8 amps are ready uh, and and when all of the rest of the DOCSIS 4.0 uh, uh, infrastructure will be ready to build out. They can move to fiber and uh, and compete and not have to worry about a upstream asymmetry any longer. So I think that wraps up my slides. Um, Happy to take any questions. Jeff, good stuff. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of yours, and so I'm going to poke at you a little bit, Jeff. I uh, hope <laughs> you don't mind. All right, so yep. um, these are all members of FBA, so five operators, uh, 38 million. But, it, you know, there's 11,000 operators deploying fiber today. So, yep. you know, so I, I guess um, I'm thinking this is just a small, you know, you're missing about... 18 million uh, homes passed with, um, you know, you figure, um, you know, 2 million from uh, municipalities, another 5.5 from cable, um, our fastest growing segment, rural electric co-ops, and then you got another seven and a half million from the, you know, all the tier twos and tier three um, incumbent operators that you haven't mentioned here. So what, I mean, we're thinking that, uh, you know, we're somewhere around at the end of last year, you know, 55 million homes passed, and we're going to see another 60 million plus deployed in the next, um, you know, by the end of the decade, before the end mm -hmm. of the decade. Does that seem reasonable to you? That seems totally reasonable. I, I just took a snapshot here of the largest operators uh, just to uh, just to show their commitment. And they're, you know, uh, obviously, they're the ones that have moved, uh, uh, quite honestly, the slowest. Uh, in some cases, so um, it, it was important, I think, to show that that at least for the narrative of this presentation, that w these guys are committed to it. We know, I think, yes, the co-ops and all the all the other uh, the tier threes that you've mentioned, that they, they've been they've been doing this for this is not news to them. Uh, but you know, the the commitment at all levels of the service provider uh, uh, market. I think shows the fact that there's going to be sustained demand for the equipment and all of the the ecosystem for the remainder of this decade. Yeah, no, I agree. And you know, certainly we, you know, a lot um, a lot of operators are relying on subsidies. You know, some of the large operators are not, and you know, certainly trying to get out in front. The other thing that seems to be interesting is the public-private partnerships where we're seeing the large incumbents being. Uh, much more proactive on being flexible on their models to work with communities to make sure everyone serves. So it seems to be um, a big fiber love fest across the industry. So uh, <laughs> can you, Jennifer, skip to uh, go up a slide? No, they keep going. Yeah, that one's. So this one surprised me, and maybe it's just on the timing, but mm -hmm. OLTs, I mean, there's one of those for every 32, 64, 128, whatever your um, split is, but a whole lot more ONTs and OLTs yet is that, so that's just the timing of, you know, putting the infrastructure out and, and, and then deploying the ONTs when you turn up subscribers or? That, that's exactly right. Yeah. Since the, the ONTs are success-based, uh, you'll, you'll see them really start to tick up beginning in, in 2023. Now, the, the other thing, when you, when you compare them uh, just in terms of uh, revenue, uh, the other thing to keep in mind is 
you know, with with XGS, uh, there there's a, a a cost premium that these operators are paying for the OLT ports, and obviously subsidization helps that, but also just the the, the realization that if you're gonna if you're gonna you know uh, spend the money on uh, the capital on putting the fiber out there, you might as well put the best technology available now out uh, in in the form of the electronics. Um, so it's it's difficult, uh, you know, relationally to just uh, think about the, uh, the the fact that all the revenue is going towards OLTs now. There's still you know five plus million ONTs uh, each year being shipped. So I mean that is you know pretty well in the neighborhood of the uh, subscriber fiber subscriber editions that are being tracked each year in the in the U.S. market. Um, so this isn't any surprise, right? That I think last year we saw the tipping point where more 10 gig PON was being shipped than GPON um, and growing. What are you seeing as far as um, one of the questions that came in um, from one of your um, industry peers is, is that little sliver of um, NGPON2, is that just strictly Verizon? Anybody else? Are you seeing anybody else doing NGPON2? Nobody else at this point. Um, and, and, you know, Verizon remains committed to it. And, uh, in fact, they have, they have talked about ramping, uh, ramping that back up, but, uh, that's a, that's a rather slow build out for them. It's, it's, um, uh, it's, it's in conjunction, uh, you know, with, uh, with some of their millimeter wave deployments where they have multi-service, uh, offerings in, in, uh, some cities, uh, they'll be using that and obviously dividing up the different wavelengths between, uh, uh, the millimeter wave uh, uh, cell site backhaul uh, and then uh, enterprise services and only to a very small extent residential services at this point. But at some point, uh, they will also reach a tipping point with respect to GPON and within the footprint that they already have, um, we'll begin upgrading those uh, uh, those OLTs to support NGPON2. It's still for uh, uh, for a mass market residential service, it still remains uh, quite expensive, even when you know you you take into account what Verizon is eliminating uh, on the on the backside of that, which is in terms of edge aggregation and some of the subscriber management uh, uh, platforms that they've had in place for years. So one of the questions is. You know, is the upgrade from GPON to XGS PON, is that a forklift or how? So are, are you seeing a lot of combo PON where, you know, operators are deploying the um, the combo? Or I guess there's a number of different ways, right, um, to be able to use the um, the XGS PON OLTs and, and remain, you know, keep your existing base of GPON ONTs? Correct, yeah. Uh, we've, we're seeing a ton of combo PON. In fact, it's the it's the dominant. Uh, uh, type of technology that's being deployed, and you know, as a as as a matter of fact, in in some of these cases with the XGS pawn, there's a percentage of those that you know are reported to us by the vendors as uh, XGS pawn that are still running at GPON line rates with the GPON ONT uh, at the end, um, and and that's that's a benefit. I mean, I think that was a uh, a, re a real um, a clear driver for the market was. Uh, making available combo combo ports. Not everybody sees the value in that. Not every operator sees the value in that, and that's 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 totally fine. Um, you know, there there are certainly plenty of uh, uh, standalone XGS PON ports that are going out uh, into the field as well. 
So just um, there's some questions on a lot of acronyms here. So <laughs> the OLT, the optical line termination. So that's the the head end. Um, yep. So that's the one to many. So one OLT would then that transceiver would blast out. You split that to 32 splits, and then yep. at the home you'd have the ONT, the optical network termination. So OLTs yep. at the head end, ONTs at the house. Um, that's so right. Yeah. One to about yep. typically 32, I would say. Um, yeah. And so, yep. The you know, what are you factoring in on the inflation and the increasing prices so you know a lot of our members are trying to figure out how to put grant applications in so overall are you saying that um do you think the actual fiber to home technology is maybe what 11 percent of the capex for deploying or what what's your number to use i mean i, I use a slightly slightly less than that uh but in that range in the high uh, single digit range um and uh, in, in terms of inflation, inflationary impact, um, you know, I, I think what we've seen is uh, we, we've seen in, in general, you'll see a, a, a price decline um, as volume shipments uh, increase, right? And we have not seen that. The prices have remained steady for the transceivers. Uh, and, you know, in, in some cases, uh, the, the burden has Come on to the equipment vendors themselves uh, in, in in terms of uh, their margin profile, uh, but it's uh, you know the, the subsidization helps that uh, to a certain extent. Um, but uh, I mean, there's there's no question. I think that the the inflationary impact is more on the labor side. I think that we're seeing. Uh, so in in terms of planning out the the overall project, I think that has a a, a bigger uh, cost impact than the spending on the uh, the electronics. You know, we have a, what about 130 billion dollars of federal subsidies. You know, between um, ARDOF and ARPA and CAA and the IIJA and every other possible acronym we can come up with. But <laughs> so, what are you seeing on the private capital that's being applied? Is it somewhere similar in those numbers? You know, because AT&T and Verizon and all those guys are using you know, private capital, and we're also seeing matching and other things. Do you have a, a feel for what the overall CapEx is? You know, I don't, I don't have a, a, a feel for exactly, um, you know, what, what that uh, range is. Mm -hmm. uh, I do know, I do know that it has increased and ramped up uh, considerably on the, on the, the private capital side. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly internationally, this is something that we've, uh, we've been tracking and, and see, uh, all over the place, uh, particularly in Europe and developing countries. Um, it's just, uh, I, I think in general, the, you know, the, the, momentum, the momentum has changed. It's good to own infrastructure. And, and for so long, it was, uh, it was seen as something that was going to be a dumb pipe. And now people realize that having that infrastructure is so valuable. Uh, and, and then, of course, the, the, the valuations that we're seeing uh, for fiber networks reflect that I think and that that's not only a, a US thing but it's a it's a it's a global thing as well hey can we hit on the cable side so my I have this um, forecast or um, I guess I'll call it my crystal ball is saying that the cable guys are going to be fiber the home guys sooner than later like we've already seen all the small the cable guys already you know, go to fiber at home. 
but are things like sustainability i mean when we look at europe and every place other than us you know the first line on the rp is you know zero carbon footprint and so having all those active components and do not when it, when it, when is cable going to start worrying about opex and wanting to get to have a low cost of ownership i mean what what do you anticipate there that is a, a that's a great question and i think that's that's the thing that they're wrestling with and it's why uh, uh, why uh, the, uh, the future around DOCSIS 4.0 is a little cloudier than it has been for any previous DOCSIS technology. Um, and, and it's because the way forward can is not just, this isn't just an extended spectrum versus full duplex question. It's also a question of going to fiber. Um, and in, in my conversations with the larger cable operators, they're still you know, doing the math for them you know, the upgrades to the existing outside plant that they're going to have to do for extended spectrum gives them uh, power consumption efficiency improvements, um, you know, adding silicon to amplifiers to allow them to do proactive network maintenance, which they, you know, generally couldn't do in those, uh, you know, relatively uh, dumb devices before. Uh, so they see that investment, um, you know, even Im improving overall sustainability um and uh you know they, they still see that as more valuable uh than the the overall capex costs it would take them to to you know build fiber out but you know that momentum shift it's a pendulum of, right yeah i'm a big fan of duct tape but at some point you know <laughs> you might as well just go and and do the right thing but um uh, so let me just end with this last question is what are some of the challenges and opportunities for the fiber construction companies in this environment well, I, I think uh, the, the the challenges currently are just the the demand and the ability to satisfy that demand and be able to uh, uh, you know build out these networks as quickly as the operators want them to, um, and 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 so that's a that's obviously a good thing and uh, and a bad thing, um, and you know um, I, I really think labor uh labor shortages and and challenges of getting skilled labor out uh out in the field to to do the work are are, are still going to be tough for the next couple of years well jeff i'd love to sit and chat with you the rest of the afternoon i always love talking to you um so i really appreciate all the work and insights you provide in your research and i want everybody to thank you for joining us today and look forward to get back together next wednesday where we'll be discussing robust mapping and public private partnerships unlock rapid broadband funding deployment in Georgia with Josh Hildebrandt, the director of broadband initiatives at Georgia Technology Authority. And he's going to discuss how Georgia is charting its way forward to deliver high quality service data and to help enable providers, local communities and state agencies move together towards a common goal. With that, um, I will look forward to seeing you guys next Wednesday. Thanks again, Jeff. You guys have a great rest Thank of your you. week.